Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. Today's episode is called Preparation Prevents Poor Performance. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and welcome to a mid-season review and karting masterclass. We are recording this on Wednesday, the 9th of August, and as well as taking a mid-season snapshot of the Formula One Championship with Matt Trumpets, I'm also going to talk to racing pro Bradley Philpott to get some karting tips for the missed Apex race at Daytona Milton Keynes this Saturday. It might not be strictly F1-related, But as race fans, who I'm sure all go karting, it's important we understand the mechanics of controlling a car, and crucially, it's important that I get an advantage over Chris Stevens and Alex Van Jean for this Saturday's race, which is why I'm not releasing this until Sunday. We are an independent Formula One podcast hosted by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here, so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. Right then, let's get on to our first guest of the day. It's Bradley Philpott. How's it going, Bradley? It's going very well. Thanks for having me. Right, so unfortunately, you couldn't make it to Daytona. Uh, You cried off with a party of all things, which means you're still young enough and interesting enough to have parties. It's not actually my party, it's my fiance's, but I'm really sorry. I was desperate to be at Daytona, and I was trying to work out any possible way to make it, but unfortunately it was not never going to fly so and here's an insight of brad's morality he felt so racked with guilt that he felt somehow he had to make it up to me and he offered me a free karting lesson and we went down to rogue racing in Ellsbury. and i thought i'll take that even though there's nothing really to make up for i would take uh, advantage of your generous spirit and we had good fun didn't we yeah it was good and i was saying to you look make sure you get some laps in as well uh, instead of just babysitting me all the way around the track but what i found fascinating is where i might sneak off to the pub and lie to my wife about it your your little addiction was oh i'm sneaking off for a bit of carting but you know don't tell her i don't think she found out either and she won't listen to this podcast so 
it's fine. I did check that she doesn't listen to this podcast first, but uh, I just thought that's fantastic. Your version of the pub is driving carts very fast. I did have a shandy afterwards, so it was kind of like being at the pub. And look, I couldn't have hoped for a better teacher. Your carting credentials are pretty good. Uh, we'll cover your car credentials later. But you started carting indoors in 1994. You went on to compete in the TKM at club level. You were a Red Bull UK cart fight champion in 2001. Uh, there's a lot of carting credentials here, but what are you most proud of? Um, the Red Bull cart fight um, was probably my, my top carting achievement. It was actually 2011, so... Um, it, it wasn't quite as far back as that, but it was really, it was a really special event because it was a, like a big national competition where you, you entered for a very small amount of money. You basically had to set a lap time at your local track and loads of tracks around the country ran this. And then if you got a fast enough time, you went through to the regional finals. And for some reason, my region was uh, Middlesbrough, which is quite a long way oh. away. And then if you got in the top 12, I believe at the regional finals, you went through to this big national final on the streets of cardiff using the daytona d-max carts um and so they had something like fifteen thousand spectators they closed loads of roads in the center of cardiff uh, mark weber came and did some donuts in the red bull formula one car they had the the red bull air race planes going around the nascar drove around the track and then they let us loose in a series of heats and um, and i ended up winning overall got to drive on the red bull formula one simulator as a prize they took me off to the brazilian grand prix it was a really cool wow. cool experience so that was probably my favourite karting and achievement. Now, more regularly, you actually run the British Rental Car Championship. Now, you, you can't list that as a credential, you regularly being in the final of that. Surely you rig that? Yeah, unfortunately, I can't rig it. It's, it's far too fairly run for me to rig it. And I'm not always in the final, um, but only 10 people get through out of the 100. So it's, um, it's tough. You should enter this year, actually, after your, your recent karting experience. Let's see um, how I do at Daytona first against the likes of Jeansy. I reckon he's quite a good marker to go up against. Uh, but look, I'm just trying to establish here that I was very, very fortunate to get uh, a karting lesson with someone of your credentials. You've uh, won the British 24 hours three times. And also, like, I, you, you, I, get, I guess you turn up to a lot of local tracks and just smash whatever record they currently have. Well, that kind of brings us on to one of our topics I believe we're going to talk about later, which is weight. Um, because the answer is no. I don't normally just turn up and, and smash the lap record, although it has happened. Um, because quite often, very good people who are significantly lighter than me will have driven around. And, uh, and there's lots and lots of very complex elements that come into kart driving. It's not simply um, enough to just be really good. There's lots of other things that have to fall into place too. So I'm sure we'll get onto that. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so let's get on to a bit of karting because I'm sure all our listeners go out there and they don't always feel 100% in control. Now, I will put myself as kind of the eponymous hero of karting because I think that I'm reasonable in that on a stag do or a work do, I'll pretty much be out in front on your average indoor cart, being not too heavy, not too heavy. I'm not racing driver-shaped, Bradley, thanks, because you kept talking about my weight-adjusted times. Um, but I'm a fairly small guy, so yes, I'll, I will be out there in front. But I'm a fairly average, uh, would you say that I'm an, on the spectrum of your average guy going go-karting? You're definitely better than average, I'd say. If Get you in. took a, a spectrum of, of everyone, you'd be um, kind of top quarter, I reckon, um, just just out of the box. And that's, that's going to be partly because... You're interested in motorsport. So the vast majority of people who go karting on a stag do. Um, in fact, my fiance's uh, brother went on a stag do really recently at Daytona Milton Keynes. 
and I was just chatting with him at the weekend and and he was a he's more of a typical example who's someone who's got no idea what oversteer understeer a racing line or anything is um, and you're you're a much higher level than that um, I don't want to fatter you too much at this point um, <laughs> but yeah you're you're a decent beginner I'd say okay well put it this way there was plenty to improve on straight away and we'll just spoil it to the end uh, with your advice and with your tips you took about 1.2 seconds off of a 28 second lap so we can definitely see that what you said to me had an improvement not just on the lap time but how it felt because it was amazing to suddenly feel grip where I wasn't feeling grip before so as your your average type driver and what we did was you set off on a lap and then we basically waited each time for you to lap me then you could get a good look at me as you were lapping me overtook uh, then got on with your session and then we had a little break and you told me where we went wrong. So what was the most obvious flaw you saw when you were coming up to, to lap me? Yeah, kart coaching's tricky, isn't it? Because we're not in the same vehicle together. So all I can do is essentially watch you from behind for a few laps. Um, the biggest flaw initially, and you'll notice I didn't wait behind you for many laps because it, you know it, I didn't need to see very much more. It was quite obvious. Biggest flaw initially was you were going into some of the tighter corners too fast. Uh, particularly the hairpin, um, which you you highlighted as one of the trickier corners for you. You were just basically trying to do the the typical beginner Carter um, thing, which is just not really brake. You know, seeing the brakes as the enemy, carry as much speed in as you can, and then yes. kind of deal with it when you get there. Yes, of course, because we've all heard the story of Lewis Hamilton's dad standing further and further down where the good guys were stamping on their brakes and making him brake as late as possible. So that's that feeling we get that if we brake too early, we're losing speed. And you don't want to be, you know, the the weakling or the scaredy cat that breaks too early. So you brake as late as you can and you wrestle it around the corner. Then you think about carrying on your way. And I, I'm yep. surely I can't be the only person that does that. No, and it's obviously quite common. You're just going too far in that direction, that's all. So you'd be breaking way past where Lewis Hamilton's dad was standing, that's all. So you've gone into the territory of, you know, it's just as bad to break too late as yeah. it is to break too early, it, it, potentially worse. So, and you could, or I could tell from driving behind you at that point, that was an area I would easily catch you up without trying. So there we go. That that was uh, that was the first one. And so what did you do to fix that? We, we spoke about it on the day, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just quickly before what I did to fix it was, when... When you talk, you were asking about where I break, it's something that isn't conscious. I think you're just trying to do it as late as possible and feel your way around. There was one corner where you said to me, where do you break on that corner? And I went, oh, between those two points. And then when I actually tried to recreate that, the next time I tried to break where I told you I'd, I'd broke and, and clearly it was much later and ended up in the wall. Uh, but when we went to the, the hairpin, so this is a hairpin, it's going downhill uh, and this has a banked apex. So as you come, you come down the hill, then it, it sharply ticks up, which can help you around the corner. So what I'd been doing previously was carrying as much pace as I can into that corner, sliding out, letting the, the bank help me round and, and carry on. So, so what am I losing the most of when I'm going into that corner, kicking the back end out, sliding around the banked apex, which looks cool and it feels cool. Why aren't I carrying speed day that, that way? Okay, so uh, there's a couple of things. You are carrying speed initially. Obviously, if we were to look at a data trace of uh, yours versus my laps, at that point on the lap, you would be gaining time on me all the way up to the apex and past the apex. The problem is, because you've gone in that much faster, you're off the gas trying to keep control of the cart at the point where I would be back on the gas and driving away from corner. So... Although you make a large gain on the entry, uh, as would be the case in, in any vehicle, whether it's a cart or a car, 
you're then making a bigger loss on the exit than you've made on the entry. So it's all about getting the compromise right. In that instance, in that particular example, it's quite a good one to use because it's quite an easy to picture example, just a you know a typical 180 degree left-hand hairpin. Yeah. You were just trying to make that gain on the entry when there was more of a gain to be had on the exit. And as a consequence of that, you mentioned you got sideways, you were sliding. And that is the, the big no-no in, uh, in any kind of motorsport, really. Oh, okay, any kind of tarmac yeah, we're not counting the dirt people, Bradley. Um, you don't want to be sideways. Certainly not as sideways as you were. Um, so there we go. You always want to be moving, moving forward. And that was a good example of where you needed to make the compromise in a different place. You needed to slow down earlier so that you could be on the power earlier and drive away from the corner. There would be examples, though, where the line you took there and the, the style of uh, entry you took might be a, a good one. Might, that might be beneficial depending on what comes next. So that's where we start to get a bit more complex. Uh-huh. Because- no, it's okay. Well, let's not get too complicated too quickly. Uh, let's see. Sometimes, though, you are faced with, say, you've got a really long uh, sweeping turn that's tightening up on you and you feel like you're losing traction. I'll point at turn one at Rye House, which is a long right-hander, and you can either lift off to keep the car, car in control or you can let the back end come out and kind of scrub speed that way. So if I try and scrub speed by just accepting that it's going to slide a bit, is that is that suboptimal? It depends. And you're going to hear this answer from me a lot. And I hope you don't see it as a cop-out. No, no. A lot of, a lot of the questions that I can see you asking me this evening, the answer will be it depends. Um, so in that example at Rye House, it, it it's going to kind of be a bit of in between the two examples you gave. You don't just want to lift off and go around completely under control, you know, within the limits of grip. But likewise, you don't want to be completely sideways, scrubbing off speed in that way. You want to be just dancing on that limit where the cart is basically going where you're telling it to and you're not leaving anything on the table. You're not kind of going slower than you need to go, but you're also not going too far the other way and going faster than you need to go and losing speed by running too wide or getting too sideways. You're trying to keep the cart balanced and and obviously that's something we'll probably talk about quite a lot is is that balance because it's yeah, exactly the same the, with the, cart. the, the mid corner balance but quickly just still on on losing the back end it's yeah it's stuff that you have said to me that now seems really obvious but when you're trying to figure it out by yourself just trying to feel what's faster it's kind of quite dramatic with the tire squealing and the, the car stepping out and occasionally with a bunch of amateurs you're keeping up with them anyway, so it doesn't feel like there's too much of a penalty. So on the whole, generally, if you've lost the back end, if it's squealing, you, you, you're, you've overcooked it. Yes, any large moments like that, any any large oversteer moment, that was a bad thing. So you need to recognise that, work out why it happened, and on the next lap around, and on, on the track we were on, it's only 30 seconds or so, isn't it? So it's not long to wait. On the next time around, at that same point, put into practice what you've worked out you did wrong on the previous lap so in that hairpin example you go in too fast you run wide you get sideways on the exit in that split second as you're driving down the following straight you should be thinking ah that obviously wasn't right something felt wrong there what was it well i was sideways on the exit well if i was sideways on the exit that suggests i went in way too fast because i shouldn't be even close to being sideways by that point in the corner that's where i should be accelerating away the next time i'll break earlier or lift earlier what depending on where we are and try and keep control of the car, try and not let go. If you do that on the next lap and it seems too easy, then you know you've gone too far the other direction. And so you can try and get back up to that limit. But the key is to recognize that something was wrong, try and work out what it was that was wrong, and on the next lap, put that into practice. Um, you don't just want to repeat your mistakes, which is what most people will do. Yeah. And you mentioned that 
against people on a stag do or against kind of the normal members of the public, it, it feels okay because you're still faster than them. And that's where it becomes really beneficial to be racing against people who are better than you because then you can see, obviously, where you're losing time. I fear it's, that it's... is going to happen to me on Saturday. Oh, how I enjoyed my temporary, um, my temporary feeling of superiority over my stag do slash work buddies. We are joined by a wild Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Ah, it's going pretty well. How about yourself, Spanner? Pretty good. I get to interrogate a racing driver about how to drive a go-kart fast. Of course, you and I will talk some Formula One later. Absolutely. And I think I might have a question for him as well as today I did a thing. Cool. Do you want to do that now? Yes, I did that thing, you know, where you let your teenager drive the car for the first time. <laughs> How'd it go? Uh, actually, pretty well. Um, I told her it was just going to be straight line testing. But we got to the uh, end of the parking lot, and she decided turns were okay. And before you knew it, we were uh, driving figure eights, and she was uh, kicking the back end out because there was a loose surface. Not really. No, she, she didn't want to go too fast. <laughs> but um, but you get, you're giving tips for karting. So I have two, two questions. One, karting for someone that age who has very little experience, do you have recommendations? And two... Just driving in general, like what what would really be important for me to impress on her? Just so I'm getting this right, you're talking about tips for your your teenager. Yes, I can just steal the ones you give spanners as I'm probably like him only faster. Okay, it's a tricky it's a tricky subject, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you could put someone that age in a cart um, to try and up their experience so they know how to control a car when something goes wrong, and that could be a good thing. Um, on the other hand, you could argue, well, is that going to then tempt them to try and drive their actual car faster, thinking that they know what they're doing more? I know I certainly fell into that category when I was younger. Um, I had lots of accidents in my first road cars when I was 17 and 18. I was um, like that on two wheels. Even worse. I, I just thought I knew more than I did. Uh, and it's not the same as a go-kart. And it's although the reactions are, are quite often the same, they're not necessarily the correct action, depending whether you're in a front or rear-wheel drive car. So my... My advice would be do it anyway. You know, the younger someone starts in a car on a track, the better they will be when they're older. And I'd just make sure I was clear with the caveat that this doesn't mean that you're a race driver and you know exactly what you're doing on the road. Um, there are other people out here and, you know, just be, be I, I drive on the road really carefully, personally. Um, I definitely learned from those mistakes, but it could quite easily have gone more badly than it did for me. And I could have ended up badly injured or something like that so i would recommend um trying to keep the two quite separate yes i'm sure it's very easy to keep an excited racing driver teenager with his driving license from from driving erratically okay let's get back to the track though so we're still on our hairpin we're still on our 180 degree hairpin okay because uh, there's loads of these on indoor go-kart tracks that we all go to what I found fascinating is having established that we don't want to ever get sideways. We want to keep the car in a straight line. Seems obvious to me now, but I'm doing that. But also, I've always had people say to me, you're either, you're either accelerating or you're braking. And in fact, in an ideal world, you would want to use the accelerator and the brake together, except go-kart tracks get angry at you and tell you not to do that. However, what you had me doing as we came to the, the, the corner was braking in a straight line, getting the correct entry speed, lifting off completely, going for the apex and waiting for that earliest possible moment where I thought I could then get on the power to escape all the way down that next straight. Now, it's an interesting sort of series of uh, of inputs and not one that was intuitive to me. 
Okay, so people give this kind of advice. There's there's loads of tit- tidbits of advice that people give that sound really profound or they sound really helpful, but they're really designed for someone who's a very, very basic level. So that's one of them. Um, you should either be on the accelerator or on the brake. That's a really good bit of advice for someone who is so bad that they're just lifting off for massive periods of the lap. You know, you you say to them, you know, when you're on the straight, keep your foot down. Then when you get to the corner, brake. And then as early as you can, get back on the power. But that's the key. It's there, It isn't just binary. You're not on or off the accelerator or brake. There are periods where you have to coast. You want to try and keep those to a minimum, but sometimes that's what is required. And some of the examples we were talking about and, and the one you just brought up there, the fastest way is to be on neither. You do the braking, you get down to the desired speed. That desired speed, say, for example, it's 15 miles per hour. If you've got a long, constant radius corner, that might be the speed you need to stay at for quite a few meters. So if you were to get back on the gas straight away, as, as that advice that you've heard would suggest, you'd be going too fast. So you then have to get back off the gas again. And so you would have run wide. So in that particular example, there are times where you have to wait until you're getting to the corner exit and then get back on the power. It might be a constant throttle. Maybe that, that might be the answer. You might just keep a little bit of throttle, but it's completely corner specific. There's no one bit of advice really that you can apply to every situation. Another example of advice like that for that sounds really sounds really good actually for a beginner, but actually once you get a bit more advanced, I'd say at your level at the moment, you have to throw it out the window, is things like... Um, you know, you only brake in a straight line. You should come off the brakes before you turn in. Now, that that in a car um, is exactly what you say to beginners. Um, but as soon as you get a little bit more advanced, you have a massive crossover. You are braking into the corners. And so that bit of advice, which was really useful to begin with, suddenly isn't. Is that your Sorry, cat? And, uh, it's, it's actually a duck. A duck has just <laughs> entered my garage. I need to put it back through the cat flap. Happens one all second. the time. Okay, it's okay. I'll catch up with Matt and talk to uh, Matt Trumpets. Oh, we're always having ducks wander through our studios, aren't we? Constantly. There was a cat in my trumpet case earlier today. It just happens. <laughs> uh, Matt, I just want you to know that uh, when we've done previous karting events and gone for drinks afterwards, which we hopefully will do this Saturday, we, we have drunkenly on two occasions now gone you know what we should all do we should pitch in and we should get matt to join us for the next event but you know sobering up we realize money and you're just no i i will i will tell you what the thing is is it's going to need to be a cross promotion between my musical group and your wife she books us enough dates to more or less cover the cost of the ticket etc. We crowdfund the rest and then we'll tack a carding session onto it at the end. Genius. And speaking of crowdfunding, last week I set you listeners the uh, the challenge or the option to say that if we could raise 40 bucks a month in the next three weeks on Patreon, then we would add an additional show which would be Matt Waffle Casting without the, the restriction of me constantly waving signs at him and telling him to wrap up and move on. And I was thinking, you know, Let's see if that's popular. Let's see if people want that. And we are already halfway there after three days. So I take it that you guys actually do like Matt Trumpets and you would like to hear him without me telling him to shut up. So I think 1.5 shows a month if we can get that target set. Back to Brad. Uh, Oh, hang on. So no, hang on. Go to mistapex.com and then click the support us or Patreon tab. I forget. We've got a new site manager. He's brilliant, but I've lost track of what the website is actually doing. Uh, Duck's gone now, Brad. Yeah, I've locked the cat flap, so nothing can get into the garage. Um, I've just been looking at some of the questions on, um, yes, on let's, the let's address YouTube some of those. chat channel. Um, 
sorry, I'm going to miss loads of them because I've only just had a look. Um, but someone mentioned, Felix mentioned, is it better to sit towards the front or the back? Um, I've heard towards the back to get maximum grip on corner exit and not lock up under heavy braking. Okay, so we actually encountered this during our session um, because quite a lot of um, carts, indoor carts in particular, you can adjust the seat. You can move them forwards or backwards. Um, tends to be Sodi carts. And in obviously, if you're in an outdoor cart, if you're running your own cart, then you can adjust the seat by uh, – you'd have to drill holes in it and reposition it, but you can move it anyway, and you can move other other lead weights. The answer is, as I said earlier, it depends. It depends what you need. Um, quite often, in a lot of situations, I've found that moving the seat all the way to the back is the fastest. And that's exactly what I thought would be the case at the track we went to together. Um, I began by having my seat all the way at the back because quite often, even if it's uncomfortable, even if you're having to stretch for the pedals, and even if, even if the cart feels like it doesn't want to turn in very well, you can gain more time just by not encountering as much oversteer on the exits. Even though it might feel worse in one element of the corner, you're actually gaining more time than that in other areas. However, at the track we were at, I found it actually was better to be slightly further towards the front uh, because we were front limited more often than not. Um, and moving the seat forward gave you a little bit more weight over the front tyres. It just kind of had a bit more bite on the way in. The majority yeah. of cart tracks you'll go to as a, as a beginner, as an amateur, using kind of the rental carts, majority of cart tracks you can't actually move the seat. But quite often if you're at a track that's got a Sodi cart, you can play around with it. And if you ever go to the KWC, the Cart World Championship, which is really the, the rental cart world championship, that's something that people spend the whole week building up to the main event doing, trying the weight in different places, you know, doing a session with the seat in one position, making a little note of that, gradually moving the seat back and just looking at the data because just because it feels better in one position, quite often people like the feel of it all the way forward. It feels more comfortable. You can reach everything a bit more easily and it feels like the cart turns in really well. But when you look at the lap time, it can be massively slower. So it, it, the answer is it depends. Yeah. Um, so try it out. Because we had, there was, that track had three very, very sharp turns towards the end. So obviously that was a slow bit. We spent a lot of time in those corners. So that's why you wanted the grip and the bike to get, to get through those. Yeah, that's, that's it. It was mm. ridiculously tight final couple of corners. And, and so there workout. was just more time to be made up by getting the cart to turn in. And actually, this brings us onto something which is a bit more important, maybe slightly technical, but everyone needs to know this. And it's a little bit more than just having weight on the front tires. Um, when you've got a really tight corner or, or even it doesn't have to be really tight, um, you're going to need to pick up your inside rear wheel. Um, so this is something that most people will probably not know about with a go-kart, but I'm going to try and keep this simple, um, and, and useful and interesting. Most vehicles you drive on track have a differential. Um, and we won't go into any more detail than that other than it allows the outside wheel to go further than the inside wheel. Um, now go-karts don't have a differential. They have a fixed rear axle. So the rear wheels are driving the cart and both rear tires are directly linked to one another via a solid rear axle, but the cart has to go around corners. And so that presents a problem. If you try and push a go-kart, like without the engine running, if you try and physically push it in the car park and try and turn a corner, it doesn't want to turn. It wants to go straight on. So go-karts are designed with the, the, the geometry of the frame such that when you turn a corner, provided there's enough grip or the weight is in the correct place, the frame can tilt um, on a diagonal axis, which allows the inside rear wheel to actually pick, off the pick up off the floor slightly. Um, and that's more obvious in a really grippy outdoor cart, in a, in a proper racing cart. But it's the same with an indoor cart or a, you know, any rental cart. Um, and that then allows the cart to turn around the corner. Now, if that isn't happening, 
the only other way to actually get the thing to turn is for the rear to slide. And we've already mentioned that sliding is a negative, really. You don't really want to be getting any oversteer unless it's absolutely necessary or unless it's a very small amount of oversteer. So that example you brought up, Spanners, of having all the weight forward for those very tight corners, at the end of the lap, the cart just understeered horrendously because it's such a tight corner and this solid rear axle with both rear tyres on the floor not wanting to go different distances to one another was preventing the cart from turning. So if you could have seen, if you could filmed me and seen what I was doing in the cart, not only did I have the seat forward, I was physically leaning towards the outside and towards the front to get the weight uh-huh. off of that inside rear wheel to allow it to come off the floor briefly to allow the cart to pivot and then sit, sit back down again. Sorry, go for it, Matt. It looks like you, you want to ask a question. I was going to ask you that very, very technical question of assuming the speeds are similar, how do you keep it from sliding and instead get that rear wheel to lift, as you were suggesting? Um, so assuming the speeds are, are similar in what way? Sorry, I'm, I'm not so well, misunderstanding. Well, you're talking about, in, in, in essence, if I understand it correctly, it's kind of like the old Ford Mustang had the live rear axle instead of the differential on it. And as you go around the turn, you're saying you need to get the inside wheel to lift, which we see occasionally in Formula One, too, when the suspension is is stiff enough. How do we get the wheel to lift instead of having both rears slide? Because I'm assuming that the speed speed that you enter the turn is going to be similar between getting the wheel to lift and grip on the outside tire and sliding sliding both tires. Yep, I understand the question now. Yeah, so you're saying, how do you make that happen as opposed to it just sliding? And... The way is by partly by shifting your weight. So in a cart, you make up a very large percentage of the total weight of the vehicle and, and driver together. It's a bit personal. And, and you're not strapped in, and so you're a movable bit of weight. So you can move, you can shift your body weight, and personally, I'm shifting it the whole time because it makes an enormous difference. Um, so one of the things would be you would lean away from the inside. You'd, unlike a motorbike, you'd never lean into a corner. You'd always want to lean out of a corner to put weight on the loaded tire and to take weight off of the inside rear wheel that needs to come off the floor. Um, in that really tight hairpin example that we're talking about, rather than kind of flicking the cart in, you know, quick steering movements, which would get the back to slide, um, what I was doing was a slow, deliberate turn with the with the front wheels and leaning towards the front outside at the same time. So that that's the way you get that to happen. It's it's not something most people would do, if I'm honest. And on tracks that are a little yeah. bit more open, where... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? 
Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You don't require such a big difference between the distance the outside wheel goes and the inside wheel. It's not so much of a problem, and it might happen quite often without the driver even knowing about it because the geometry of the steering is just set up that way. Okay. If you just sit a, sit a go-kart on the floor flat whilst it's not moving, and turn the steering wheel, so you turned it hard to the left, you'd actually see the front right wheel will come off the floor. But if the cart was in motion and going into a corner, the cart would be leaning over onto that front right wheel. So actually, it'd be the left rear wheel that would come off the floor in that situation when the cart's moving. Does that make any sense? Am it, I talking Yeah, no, sense? it absolutely does. So if I go back to my, my right house turn one into the stadium bend, um, when the natural G-force of that cart is throwing me to the outside of the turn... I basically, I don't fight it, and I try and get, keep myself close to the steering wheel and let it throw me out to the left uh, so my inside wheel is coming up. Yeah, and it's interesting, with that diff lock, I think what we're saying is if we don't get that front wheel up, then basically your inside right rear on a right-hand turn is acting like a brake, trying to slow the outside wheel down. We don't want to be going at the speed of the inside wheel, we want to be going at the speed of the outside wheel. Yeah, rather than a brake, it's trying to make you go straight on. Um, if they're both uh-huh, on the floor, so it's making you they, understeer. Yeah, they both rear wheels have to go. They have to make the same number of revolutions. It's just a case of whether they're doing that whilst they're touching the floor, or whether one of them's off the floor. Um, and obviously, if it if the inside one's off the floor, that actually allows the cart to turn. So it's it's something that is quite often very subtle, and you'd need to, unless you're looking at um, a very fast outdoor race cart with sticky tires that really picks up the inside wheel very obviously. Um, if you're looking at a rental car, it's quite often hard to see. You've got big bumpers around the car. The tires don't have as much grip. They they quite often do default to sliding as opposed to picking up that inside rear wheel. But that's the that's what you're aiming for um, in in a lot of corners. The more open corners, the gentle corners, you won't really see it very much because you don't have the front wheels turned enough to create that uh, that geometry which will lift the inside wheel off. Uh, Artemy in the chat room is saying, are there any apps that can show you some analytics about how you were driving a cart? Sorry, I don't understand this. Why don't you simply get a professional racing driver to come round a go-kart track with you? I don't understand why everyone doesn't do it, to be honest. Um, there's You can use data. <laughs> um, on a race car, they'd have all very similar data systems to a race car. Um, in a rental car, not so much. There are GPS apps you can have. If it's indoors, that won't work. Um, I have used some reasonably good outdoor ones, but it's very hard to affix them you know, on your smartphone to the steering wheel. They normally fall off or get smashed. So there's not really any great apps. I saw another question, um, also from Felix. Is it efficient to jump up from the seat on corner exit in hairpins? Um, to answer that, I'd say watch any professional race. Are they doing it? No. And the reason is when you jump up, you take the weight off. and But, but obviously you're... You're putting more weight down when at the point that you're jumping up, and then as you land, you put more weight on, so it kind of cancels itself out. So See, I've no, seen you want to stay quite stable. It. I thought that that was effective because effectively, my rule is when I turn up to a, a race meeting, a very sort of low level one, if there's nobody with their own coveralls and helmet, generally I've got a good shot at winning and I'll end up on the podium. And I came second in the last one, and I was beaten by a guy with his own coveralls, and he was doing the jumpy up and down thing. Now. 
after we had uh, a lesson with you, I now understand that he wasn't being penalised for that because my exit speed is poor and probably always has been. So now I think I would have mugged him with his silly jumping up and down tactics. I think it's a placebo effect. I think people Ooh. feel like they're doing something. You're in a situation, particularly in a rental car, quite a low-powered four-stroke rental car, where on the corner exit, it feels a bit flat, feels a bit dead. It's not going very fast. You feel like you want to do something. And so to kind of pass the time, people hop up and down and it makes them feel better, but it doesn't do anything. <laughs> and Lorenz, You'll never see it in a proper race. Lorenz is asking, should we hold our hand on the air intake like the big boys do? Um, you don't have that option in most rental carts. Um, and if you did it in a race cart, you, first of all, you'd be in danger of losing your fingers in the chain because they're not quite as well protected. Oh, they, they certainly didn't used to be. Um, but no, don't, don't put your fingers in the air intake. <laughs> um, wow, uh, this has taken up uh, more time than I thought. But Brad, if you're okay for oh time. Oh my God, we, yeah, we've barely even started. But yeah, yeah no, fine. I mean, I, this is, this is, because people in the chat room uh, are saying they're just absolutely glued to this. And, it feels like it's basics, but generally we never talk about it. We, we have these karting events come up. We do it. We get this huge adrenaline buzz. We say, that's brilliant. We vow to do it much more often. And then we actually do it about three years later. And we never think in between those sessions actually what it is we're doing. So to hear somebody, you know, talking through what you actually should do and someone with your credentials, it's, it's really valuable. And I hope the listeners will agree that it's worthy of a kind of tech time esque type show with you, Brad. Um, just before we get off the, the particular topic we're on, which is tends to be, seems to be like weight in the car and, and positioning of the driver. One bit of advice I want to give to everyone is under braking, I'm, I'm sure everyone realizes a cart or the vast majority of carts, certainly any cart that the amateur would be driving only has brakes on the rear axle. You've got no front brakes in most vehicles on the track. Uh. The majority of braking happens on the front axle. Um, that isn't the case in a cart. So if you imagine in a go kart, you've o- in a cart, you've only got your handbrake to slow you down. It's like driving on a track in a road car, and the only way you can slow down for a corner is by yanking the handbrake. So in in that situation, in terms of weight position in the cart, you should always be leaning back, pushing yourself firmly into uh. the seat with your weight <laughs> as far back as possible under braking, because obviously there's more weight over the rear tires. They're going to lock up with more difficulty, um, so you'll be able to brake harder and later. So you want a, a stable rearward position when you're braking. When you're braking. So I promised Chris Stevens that I would upload this MP3 before I put it on the feed. Nah, I, I'm absolutely not doing that. This is golden. There's no way he would have thought of that. He has the racing line on when he does computer games. So I do want to get onto weight in a second and general weight yep. and how much you can gain in the kitchen of your lap time. Uh, but one thing, yeah, just, to, just to finish off on the hairpin that we were going on uh, just let me know if i'm thinking along along the right lines here so previously i was doing my break 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 go 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 break as late as possible go 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 so really the chances of me getting my acceleration point uh, were actually pretty pretty random and pretty limited but with what you've shown me to do which was to to break a, a bit earlier and to be lifting off or throttling and maintaining speed as i go around the corner it gives me far more options to feel exactly when is the right time to, to get on the power and get down that straight. And what I wanted to quickly talk about was, was I've never experienced the cart being so balanced uh, as it was uh, when I was suddenly listening to you and, and doing it that way. How important is it to have a stable car in the corner? Uh, but before you answer that, what are you after, Matt? Well, I was going to ask, is this just like a variation? Because we've seen it in Formula One uh, with lifting to regen them talking about being slower in but faster out, like actually having faster ultimate corner speed because they're slower in because they've lifted 
to uh, regen the ERS a little bit. And, and is this just a variation on slow and fast out that we're talking about here? Um, kind of, but we're really just talking about correct technique. So we're not going in slower deliberately, obviously, to do any kind of regenerating. That's that's not that doesn't enter into it. I was just trying to get Spanners to break at the correct point. So he was he was going at the ideal entry speed. So what you're kind of talking about there with the Formula One drivers is they're actually going in slightly below the ideal entry speed, which gives you an easier exit. You will be quicker on the exit, but with the danger of losing more time on the entry. So it's difficult to make up for it. With Spanners in this example, I was just trying to get him to be, rather than be way, way too fast into the corner, just be at the correct speed. Um, and I'm glad that you've said that that meant that you could feel what was going on more because yep. quite simply, you're no longer hanging on for dear life. Exactly. So yes. And that's how it felt before. Like I was just wrestling it around the corner. Yeah. You're able to think about yep. deliberately placing the car, deliberately getting on the gas at the right point rather than just, oh, oh, I'm sideways. Oh, oh, I missed the barrier. Good. And then carrying on. You've and- not got this big downtime period where you're hanging on, saving it. And then getting on with it. And You're that's it. In the, in the third session we did, I was suddenly, all of a sudden, seeing the apexes of the corners and working to get closer to them. Before that, I was just trying to make it around the corner. But when you have the time, the balance and the grip, you can actually look and go, ah, I'm, I'm hitting that apex You know, there. I, I want to feel it just kiss my back end. And the better you get, you will be moving around a little bit. You will have little moments. But the, the key is that we need to keep them to a minimum. You need to be having small moments a lot of the time. That shows that you're kind of you're not overstepping the limit too much, but you're also not underdriving the car and being you know too safe. It's that keeping it on that kind of fine line where it's nearly getting out of control, but never a big moment like we were describing at the start, where you're going in, you know, getting really sideways on the exit. That's the kind of moment that should only ever really happen when you're better. Um, if you're going for a big late breaking overtaking move and you know you're happy to sacrifice that entry because you're trying to go for track position in a on a normal lap where that isn't the case that should you know you should be so far from that because that's just like a it would be a big mistake okay let's bang through three more topics then how can i get lap time in the kitchen is it really important to shave off those pounds because you kept talking about my weight adjusted lap times you'd be going yeah but you can take 0.6 off that for starters <laughs> so uh, I, mean, I mean how much difference does the weight really make i mean this track we were at had uh, a big uphill ramp and you were saying you were definitely catching me there but how about when it's on the flat and how about when it's a more powerful cart um yeah so weighted everything um it's in most series, if it's a professional series, if you, even if it's British Rental Cart Championship, there we understand that weight makes such a big difference. So there's a minimum weight for everyone that's generally set high enough that everyone is exactly the same weight. Um, even even when everyone's at the same weight because of lead blocks added to the cart or however you do it, it's still not exactly equal because people, um, you know, someone who's fully up to the weight limit just using their own body weight. Um, can move around and they can shift that weight more. They've got more adjustable weight. But just for argument's sake, if you're all at the same weight, that's a good thing. In most rental car situations, that will not be the case. The lighter mm. you are, the more of an advantage you have. Flat so out. In, in, and, and, and there's no thing of like, if you're heavier, you get more grip around the corner, which you know no, some that's, biggins that's try and say. rubbish. Or you can hit no, the curbs harder or something like and that. You know, and I've heard that so many times. It always makes me laugh. I hear people go, oh yeah, um, he's he's heavier, so he's slower out of the corners, but He's quicker down the hills and through the corners. And obviously, 
I mean, they can rewrite the laws of physics all they want, but that that is not the case. Um, you, you'd never see a Formula One team trying to add weight so they can be quicker through the corners. It's just a load of rubbish. Okay, so um, let, let's just so, say you're, you're a normal-looking guy. Uh, how tall are you? You're about 5'8", something like that? I'm 5'9", five five um, 67 kilos. Six, oh, in, in stone. So in your full racing gear, you are, what What are you saying to me, about 11, 11 or so stone? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not very good with stone. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Someone can convert that. Full race gear, I'm 70 kilos. So, 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 oh, so, so basically, you're, you're racing driver shaped and uh, you guys tend to be kind of, you know, cyclist shaped as well. I'm certainly not cyclist shaped. I look like Gareth Gates has spent the last 10 years in a pub uh, and I'm on about 26 BMI. So I was giving away probably two stone to you. Did we say that? I think we said something like that, which you reckoned around that lap cost about 0.6 of a second. So generally the calculation that I've I've seen used over the years and I've been heavily involved in rental karting, indoor karting, that that type of um of racing for a number of years and I've seen the experiments done as scientific as possible where where weight is added at you know in certain amount of lead blocks uh, and then a graph is plotted and on a 30 second lap it's almost always worked out it doesn't really even matter what kind of car, what type of track over 30 seconds in a rental cart, every 10 kilos tends to add up to an extra three tenths of a second slower. So if you're 20 kilos heavier, you're going to be six tenths slower if you drive in exactly the same way as, as the next driver. Which is why I say when you mentioned at the start about uh, do you just turn up to indoor cart tracks or uh, and just break the lap record, you could have someone who's if someone's 50 kilos and I'm 70 kilos, they could be driving almost a second a lap worse than me, but still be getting quicker lap times. And, and that's just how it is. Unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about that, which is why you're right. You can gain loads of time in the kitchen. Um, you can just if you're lighter. In fact, I've tons of times in preparation for an event. If it's not been a weighted event, I've been really trying to lose weight because every extra kilo you can get off is genuine lap time. So for your event, that will be the case. So, unless yeah un- and i'm just gonna add a caveat unless it's wet now oh here we go it's, it's not it's not quite as simple as if it's wet then it's better to be heavier because that isn't the case if you're traction limited it's better to be heavier until you're no longer traction limited so the moment your rear tires stop spinning you want to be light again but all the while you're limited by how much power you can put down because the rear wheels are spinning then you want to be heavier. It's still worse to be heavy, whether you're in the wet or the dry, being heavier is still worse into the corners because you've got more momentum to slow down. So, you know, the cart doesn't want to stop. It doesn't matter whether you're heavier or slower. It's, uh, it, it's bad to be heavier. Uh, it doesn't matter, you know, mid corner where, you know, you're, you're trying to, I don't know, accelerate out of the corner or you're just in the middle of the corner. You've still got more momentum trying to be thrown outwards unless you're using that extra weight to, to lean over and, and stop the rear tires from spinning. If you're trying to get on the gas and the wheels are spinning, that situation it's better to be heavier. But like I say, the moment the rear wheels stop spinning, you want to be light again. So, so this is I've, interesting because last I've, time, go on, sorry, mate. I've never, uh, whenever I've heard someone use the excuse, uh, a lighter driver loses a race in the rain, and they've used the excuse, oh yeah, but you know that guy was heavier than me. I've never ever in professional karting seen a light driver add weight in the wet. And that it's an option that's open to them. That's you know, a if you've good got point. lead blocks that's you can put in the car, yeah. they, they can put those blocks in, <laughs> but they never do it. And that's because they know that yeah. as soon as they've limited the wheel spin, they want to be light again. So it looks like it's going to be sunshine on Saturday 
And I am feeling optimistic because I think there has been, since the last time I went karting with Jeansy, where obviously he was a lot faster than me around that rogue track, I think there's been a two and a half stone swing in my favour in that I've lost about £16, uh, whereas Alex has been enjoying the corporate lifestyle. And Daytona Milton Keynes is a track that's over a minute long. So those figures I just gave you there for 10 kilos equals three tenths, double that. Um, because you've got more than a minute. I think there's an upset so, here. There's an upset on the cards. I've had the coaching. I've had the weight swing. I'm I'm up for this. I'm bang up for it. So let's say, just for example, that you are you're just you're ten kilos lighter than Van Jean, and I suspect it's a lot more than that. Sorry, Van Jean. Um, <laughs> you should be sick. You've got a six tenths advantage, basically, haven't you? So um, cool. And and so round that- round Daytona then. If he let's assume he is a good carter, and and I think he he very much is a good carter. How how fast how much faster than me should he be? All things he being knows equal. he knows Daytona Milton Keynes very well. He's he's won the D40 Championship there. Um, I met him there actually. I actually met him at one of these races, a race very similar to the one you guys are doing, just kind of like an open evening race. I turned up and um, I think I won. I probably won, and uh, and I just got chatting to him, and and we've stayed in contact ever since. But he's been doing that for years, so I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, you've you've never been, have you? No. Okay, I would so. He knows every single corner intimately. There are a lot of corners. I mean, he even knows them by their corner name. I haven't got a clue. I've, I've finished second in the 24-hour race there. I couldn't tell you which corner number is which. Um, but he knows. So, and you will still be trying to work out where you're going by the end of the first half an hour, I'd imagine, because it's a very long track. So I've, um, only, got a ch- I've got so, only, only got a couple of chances then, which is overtaking him early and then holding him off. So I wouldn't mind hearing from you uh, a little bit. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was just- really negative it was all positive up until now matt i'm sorry i think your best chance is entirely missing your breaking point and just smashing into him up the inside i think that was heavily implied to be honest they're quite robust these cars and he's (laughs) quite a he'll be a bit of an immovable object i think um Okay, so let's bri- briefly talk about um, how to handle ourselves in carts around other drivers then. On indoor carts, I generally get frustrated because the only way you can get past someone is to punt up the inside of them. However, you were breezing past me because our delta was that much bigger. So, you know, what, what's, what, what, do you, what do you look for when you're attacking a driver who's maybe not quite as slow as I was when you're coming up against him? Because we had hairpins where you can try and just punt it up the inside um, or you can try and get a better drag. Where is it that you're looking to overtake most of the time? Um, there's no easy answer. It could be anywhere, absolutely anywhere. Um, you would you would size up a driver if you weren't massively quicker than them, and you couldn't just breeze past them any way you chose. If you were a similar speed to them but slightly quicker, you'd size them up over you know a number of laps. Whether or, it depends how much quicker you are than them, but if you can't easily get by them, you might maybe work out where they seem to be holding you up and normally it'll be under braking normally it'll be somewhere you can just go up the inside probably into a hairpin you know the the tighter corners tend to have bigger braking areas um daytona milton Keynes. i'm trying to think of where would be a good one um end of the longest straight so you've got a very long back straight into a flat out left hander followed by a tight right hand hairpin that tends to be quite an obvious one so where there's a big speed differential between uh, the top speed on the straight and then the minimum speed at the following corner that would tend to be somewhere that you'd be looking to overtake, provided okay. you can stay close enough to them down the straight. You're going to get quite a big slipstream effect at Daytona Milton Keynes. So you can follow someone down that long back straight. Um, and even if your cart was slightly slower than theirs, 
uh, you could stay behind them and, and you will get a genuine slipstream effect there. So that should set you up well. Okay, so normally I'm quite timid when it comes to the racing side of it. I try and get my good lap time and I try and stay out of trouble. And, and most of the time with people spinning off everywhere, that's enough to give you a respectable result. However, it's quite a lot of pride on the line on this occasion. I intend to be I intend to be quite aggressive. So when I'm doing what you said into a heavy braking zone, I'm coming up the inside. Obviously, if I brake much later, then I'm going to have a worse entry and I'm going to be hanging on for dear life. Uh, what what do I do? Do I just, just keep that guy, you know, to the outside of me at any cost? Do I do I vettel him? Do I Lewis Hamilton him, him and uh, punt him off the exit on the on the outside of the exit? Uh, you know, what's the, what's the best way once I'm sort of under less control than him down the inside? to keep that place going into the next straight so the first thing to do is to not lose control under braking as we mentioned an option you're you're effectively pulling the <laughs> handbrake and if you're doing that later than normal and you're offline it's going to be harder to keep control so try and do that braking in as straight a line as you can so keep your front wheel straight whilst you're doing it and if you do get sideways try and hang on to it so that's the first part um so let's say you've got the move done or you've you've got in front of them and you might yeah. not have completed the move but you got in front of them into the hairpin they've probably noticed this happening so say it's van jean he will have noticed you coming up the inside so he will have sacrificed that part of the corner maybe braked a little bit earlier to try and then get you back on the exit so he's going to deliberately try and um kind of do an undercut on you on the way out of the corner so the only thing you can do is basically monitor where he is you can be a bit cheeky in a rental car you'll get away with a little bit more because the wheels aren't exposed you're not going to roll over by touching the other car so you can kind of keep an eye out, just at corner of your eye, see where he places the car and try and disadvantage him at the next corner. Because more, it's more than likely he will get a better exit than you. You've gone in deep. Yeah. He's managed to go wide and then cut back. So in this particular example, the following corner is a left hand. You've just gone through a right hand hairpin. The next corner is a left hand hairpin. If you've gone in really deep, you'll be on the outside. But actually, that gives you the inside for the next corner. So you want to then just hang on round the inside and just watch where he goes and try and run him right out to the edge of the track on the exit. So you're trying to minimise the advantage that he's gained by getting a you know a better line into that first hairpin than you. I'm going to say this though, he will have already thought of that as well and he will do exactly the same thing at the next corner. And eventually, if the other driver is genuinely better than you, unfortunately, they are probably going to outfox you in a, in a racing situation like this. And it's just, you just got to chalk it up to experience and try and try and not next time you go for that outbreaking maneuver, try not to go in quite as deep, try uh-huh. and do more of a block pass where see block pass. You, that sounds, you mani- that sounds right. Like okay. So here we go. Do. Right. Let's describe this then. Yes. So rather than going in way too fast and, you know, easily getting past him, but being at quite a big disadvantage as you leave the corner, try and end up in the spot in exactly the spot on the track where he's trying to cut back past you. So um, so effectively, you want to end up somewhere near the apex. So you're off the ideal line. If it was a qualifying lap, you'd never have placed your car in this position. But in terms of track position, you will have gained it. You've, you've slithered up the inside, but you've not slithered so far that you've given him a gap to cut back up your inside. So you want to try and end up. You want to aim so that your braking ends, you know, your, your deceleration ends effectively alongside him. Yes, then he has like much less of, of a chance to, to get you back. And then you can kind of resume a normal racing line at the next corner. And then, and then we punt then it off. Got it. Yeah, so, okay, so uh, this is from the chat a little bit, but let's say I, I defy the odds and I'm keeping pace with Gene Z and he is defending in the middle of the track. Is it ever worth going for the outside line instead? Are you always at a disadvantage trying to go around the outside? So that brings us back to that 
that um, response that I mentioned at the start. It depends. depends. Um, depends what the next corner is. If you uh-huh. go around the outside of a left-hander and the next corner is a right-hander, that could be perfect. It could be exactly what you want. Um, if the inside, like say it's wet, the outside line's quite often quicker anyway. So there's another example where it'd be better on the outside. Um, you know, just because it's a shorter distance around the inside in that situation doesn't mean everything. Um, more often than not, the inside is the high ground. The inside is where you want to be. But there are situations where that's not the case. So um, play it by ear. Uh, see what works at different parts. We'd need to be talking about a specific corner to give you a really good answer for that. I think that this has been fantastic, and I am pretty confident that our listeners are going to find this interesting as a standalone episode. I want your feedback. Email me at spannersready at gmail.com. Hang on, that's not how emails work. Spannersready at gmail.com. Or you can send me a DM. I've opened up my DMs. You can slide on in there at Spanners Ready. Let me know what you think of this format because I would love to invite Brad to do more. We had so much more in the show notes. Uh, like I'd love to go through your con- credentials as a road driver. The fact that you've been instructing uh, with Palmer School uh, at the Bedford Aerodrome, which I used to work near and I used to enviously watch uh, while I was doing a terrible job. Uh, but watching all these rich people have fun in their motor cars. Uh, also, Brad, I'd love to talk to you about how sim racing translates into teaching people on the track as well. So I would, yeah, I mean, you're sitting in a simulator right now. I can't believe you have a simulator in your car. I'm really hoping that we've got to the point where we can invite you back on for similar racing chats like this in the future. And I would love to do it. And in fact, sim racing will be one that's close to my heart. Just, just as a side note, um, not long before I joined you on Skype, um, I was practicing for my next race, which happens to be next weekend, not this weekend, but the next weekend. Um, practicing online with loads of other people on a laser scan, super accurate version of the track I'll be racing on. So, and that w- it wasn't just me having fun. I wasn't playing a computer game. I was practicing for my race. I was learning that things. That would never wash in my house. That would never wash. My missus would never accept that that wasn't a video game. It doesn't wash in my house either, but whilst my fiance is <laughs> on a plane back from Edinburgh, I can get away with it. But but in reality, it really is practice. I there are times where I don't want to do it. I don't I can't be bothered to come into the garage and sit out in the cold and do some laps. But I would be doing myself a disservice to not put the effort in and not practice. So uh, there's so much to be learned, and so that's a whole nother a whole nother topic. And where is your next race, Brad? Uh, well, next race, as most of my races, uh, is at the Nurburgring. So it's the six hours. Um, VLN six hours, which is next weekend. So, you say it so well, casually. Again, Do you not get any impression of how impressive that is to us in general? That that you're going to go and do that as as part of your working year? It's it's the fifth race, fifth race of the year for me. So it is, it's becoming a little bit more. I'm becoming a bit more blasé about it, but it's potentially the final race for me this year. Um, the the sponsorship budget is kind of very much drying up at this point, um, but it's still the furthest into a year I've managed to get in quite a few years so it'll be uh, with the net motorsport number 308 Peugeot so uh, route for us if you it is actually live online you can watch it um, Drive Tribe will be broadcasting it live on Facebook uh, and on YouTube and VLN's official channel also broadcast it on YouTube well there you be go. before you go then uh, just tell the listeners where to find you in general for all that kind of stuff and where to support you Yep. Um, so I've got a few different channels. Um, YouTube is um, a good one. It's uh, If you just search my name, Bradley Philpott, on YouTube, you'll find my channel. Um, Twitter is at Bradley Philpott. Um, um, Facebook, my page is Bradley Philpott Motorsport. Um, so feel free to find me on all those. I'm also on Instagram, although I'm not particularly active. I try to be. Um, I'm not young enough for Instagram, really, but it's Bradley underscore Philpott on there as well. And Brad, you 
you signed up to our Patreon for Missed Apex and uh, and I added you to the Slack group. You know, I would have just added you to the Slack group if you'd asked. I, I really appreciate that, mate. I didn't even know what Slack was. Um, I just wanted to um, wanted to join in and be part of everything because I listen to you guys on my way to work. I have a very long commute each day, uh, whether I'm on the way to a test track or on the way to the office. And so I love my podcast. I really enjoy listening to them. And I look forward to the next episode coming out. So I thought Aww. I'd contribute since I'm using your service. Oh, that's absolutely fantastic. And the excitement in the Slack group when you just turned up there. Hi, I'm a racing driver. Anyone want to chat? Uh, you can mute the notifications just so you know. I think I've missed quite a lot over the last 24 hours. So I've got some catching up to do. I mean, there's, there's like 6,000 messages a month in there. So I do suggest that you mute them or set keywords that pop up. Uh, Bradley, thank you very much. We're going to leave you there. Matt, I'm going to kill this recording just now, but do you want to hang around and do a bit of a waffle that I'll release on a subsequent day? Yeah, but before we go, can I just casually mention that anyone in the New York City metro area tomorrow night can come see me at Swing 46 playing with a big band, which all of a sudden just happened. And should you be in the Daytona area on Saturday, you might be able to catch me playing a little bit at the Volusia County Mall, right opposite the Daytona Speedway. You heard it here first. If you want to swing with Matt, then go down uh, to the place that he told you to go. Uh, if you don't want to do that, just settle for the fact that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex Cutting Must Class! with Bradley Philpott. The chat room want to make sure the duck's okay with you coming back on again, Brad. So I will need to put that duck away in a minute. Um, So white duck and brown duck uh, live outside in the garden. Um, And during the daytime, they just wander around. They just waddle about. That's a terrible name for your pet ducks. They're actually called Phoenix and Phantom. Um, but we just refer to them as white duck and brown duck. Fair enough. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.